the classical, if you look at it, the word in the Oxford Dictionary has broadly three meanings. Okay, so we just quickly go to that. So on the left you have the dictionary meanings of what classical is, and then Harvard is uh, in 2011 or 12 come out with a huge book called the Classical Tradition, which is meant to be a, a ready reference for any of the words which are in the tradition. So in the classical tradition, there is a meaning for the word classical and what that really implies. So this is a collation of what it means in the tradition. So there's a privileged connection between classical and the realm of Greco-Roman culture that admits these three explanations, right? And then there is Sheldon Pollock's own notion of what the word classical and classic means. Okay. Now, I'm aware that the time is short, but just to kind of very quickly summarize, this is perhaps what a common English-speaking person, right, who reads, who encounters the word classical. This is perhaps what he might think. This is a summary of the first two columns, right? So there's a time and chronology. When we think of something classical, we perhaps think of something which is first significant period of an area of study. These are not my words, this is the dictionary words, right? Then there's a quality or a tradition dimension to it. We think of it as something which is exemplary, first class, high standard, right? And we also, and the dictionary meaning uh, and the classical tradition meaning brings in the Greco-Roman dimension as well, which may not be so evident to the people who are not part of this tradition, right? We may not, when we say classical music of India, we don't, in our mind, ascribe it to the Greco-Roman groups, right? But this is a very evident dimension which is which is embedded. So what we see, and I'm calling it, is... Yeah. So what we see is the two dimensions. This is what we, an average English reader would either see that those three dimensions or at the least these two dimensions, right? Now, what Pollock has done though is he says my meaning of classical is very different from what's there in the dictionary. I don't know why this is going on. Uh, he, to summarize, he gives it an alt. The word he uses and it's very some in. Uh, very interesting that he uses the word alternate, like how Wendy Doniger uses alternate to her convenience. He says that I'm going to use the word classical the way it is, but he ascribes an alternate classicity to the word, right? How does it impact? What are, what are some of the uh, impacts of that? Is there's a very clear chronological definition of what classical means to him in the Indian context alone, which is different from everybody else. And this information, by the way, is not published in every book of the Murti Classical Library of India. Just buy one hard copy, I bought one. His definition of classical is not printed in the books. But it is embedded, for instance, in the websites, you know, uh, there's an introduction by him uh, on the website. Then it's there in his academic papers, which many of us might not normally have an access to. It's there in a few videos. And all of these are not consistent. So this paper brought all of, to the extent that I could access, brought all of those together. And what it appears is that A, his definition of classical for India commences after Jesus Christ, right? His chronological 
uh, implication for classical literary works for Sanskrit. And these words are there in the MCLI library, not verbatim, but pretty close to this, is the last centuries of the 1 BCE, right? which is pretty close to Christ, and a hard stop at 18th century. Now, I'm not focusing on the hard stop of the 18th century, but the upper limit is dangerous. And Murti Classical Library of India makes no bones about the fact that they want to present this to the largest readership of the world. And they might actually do it. And we may not, not want them to do it, but do we want them to do it in a way which limits our classicity? Right? For instance, Vedanga Jyotish, which is dated back to 1400 BCE, even by Mikhail Levinov might not be directly from the tradition per se, right? So I'm not taking a, uh, I'm, I'm taking a fairly objective view. Now, do we want the largest readership in the world not to know about Vedanga Jyotish? Because in this definition of classical, it will not be there. But if it's there, it's an even bigger problem because it, it, it fits their chronology of our view. Right? So there's a very deep chronological impact. I'm not even going to Rig Veda. I'm just talking about Vedanga Jyotish for now. Right? So that's in a very quick sort of a summary, but I'll hand it over to Professor. I wrote about this in the media. It's very difficult. Uh, I mentioned about my business standard experience. And the Indian Express invited me to write something, but they wouldn't publish what I had written. They kept sending it back. Really, and then hundreds of responses started coming. And so I just heard that there was a media campaign, funded media, I didn't know that. But now it makes sense. Multicolor. So I, I so you see, this is the thing. This was a multi so we have to expose some of this because at a certain level many Western people are fair minded. And when they see that this is what has happened, they will also stand up and and uh, and also sort of join us. So good, I just wanted to say that and I'll come in at the end. And if there's certain things that uh, maybe haven't been covered, or what, well, I have certain ideas of why it's wrong, I've written about it, and how to rectify it. So if those, some of the things are not covered, I'll also say my two bits, but I'll just hand it over now. Just one corrective chronology. Uh, my book had already come out, first, okay. and the one of the, we did 25 events in India to launch it. One of the biggest was in IIT Bombay. And uh, Ganesh Ramakrishnan was an IIT Bombay dear friend, supporter. We started with Ganesh. And it was discussed there. Okay. What do we do? And, uh, you know, I launched the thing on Shingeri, stopping them from doing some certain things. Some unknown people talked to HRD because at one point they had announced Ronmurthy to be in this, uh, what is it called, the Central Board of Education. It has been put in the newspapers. Uh, but that was, it didn't happen through mysterious reasons I can't talk about. So different people tried to do different things. And so uh, some people took on upon themselves that this is, uh, this is the petition that is required. So that petition was born at, at, at that. That was the sequence. That is the context in which it was born. And my book had originally a full chapter on uh, more, uh, this Murthy Library, uh, in which we took five of the volumes and 
did an analysis of those five volumes. So it is not just a general critique of the library and why they're doing it, but actually showing examples of first five. But then, you know, there's so many things we took out because edit, uh, publishers always, is too big, you know, like 600 pages and nobody would read that. So a lot of stuff was taken out. I had a whole section on uh, Ananya Vajpayee, her works, her, her looking at her articles and her books and her works on Ambedkar and what is she all about. Like then I've taken a few of Pollock's theory and a whole chapter on that and a whole one on Murti classic which I took out. But I keep it in reserve because you should always have some extra ammunition so you can shoot it out quick, you know, if you require to. Uh, Murti classic library, I, I think uh, they are very much on the back foot. They are very uh, embarrassed. Because corporate people, and I made all, I'm just restating what's in the book already. Corporate people always do due diligence before they invest. And when you ask, uh, the whole thing started when I was approached for funding in US by people who were raising all these millions of dollars. Uh, you know, and all these Indians very proud that this Columbia University man is now going to make their heritage famous. Uh, so I asked them, have you done due diligence? And they're all investment bankers. And they, they all looked around this road, what does that? I said, you, you would never go to a client and ask for money, uh, you know, ask him to invest money without doing due diligence. Have you done due diligence on Columbia, the Indology Department, on Sheldon Pollock, on, on the Clay Library? Have you done due diligence on that? And they had not. They're very embarrassed that they had not. I said, okay, so you are investing in something that is outside your domain of expertise. You know some industry, you don't know Indology. And you haven't even bothered to get an independent review. You're just investing money. It's a foolish thing. You would never do it in your own field. And they felt very embarrassed actually. So, but there were a few people who had taken the lead, stuck their neck out, who got very angry. So that's how the whole thing started. So this Murti library problem is that now it's a prestige issue, which is good also, because prestige issue makes it very high profile, meaning that. They can't get out and they can't shut the thing because it's a big embarrassment if they do that. And also the Murthys have enough interest in Ivy Leagues and prestigious boards and investment deals and whatnot. So this is not something just out of generosity, there's also more at stake. So this uh, is a political thing. It's a uh, personal investment kind of thing also. Uh, and I think for Rohan, Murthy, and I haven't met him, I, I would assume he's a nice guy, he seems like a decent, he's a, he's a decent guy. He's, and a person, and people know him say he's a very decent man. It's just that he's outside his scope, I mean he's a computer science guy. He would never uh, recommend some guy who knows, uh, you know, running uh, bake, bakeries or restaurants, he would never recommend that they invest in some sophisticated software without looking at, without having an expert look at it. So how would, why invest in Indology without having it checked out? They should have done it. And they should have had traditional mathas, create a board of advisors. And the editor, chief editor should not be a person but an editorial board. And they should make it, maybe Pollock can be one guy, but they should have many others in it. And they should be an advisory board of traditional people. So if it is Mahabharat, then somebody from the Vaishnav tradition, who is a Mahabharat expert from the sacred side, should look at it for obvious errors. If it is Dharma Shastra, then somebody from the Dharma Shastra look. If it is Nyaya, then somebody like Professor Jha should look at it. They should be experts from our tradition. And then, you know, you can give the work to whoever you want, but somebody, there should be checks and balances. There are no checks and balances. It's like a, a fief now. This guy runs it. 
and then building up the guys, one guy's ego by putting so much public relations. They funded Jaipur Literary Festival, where you know panels can be bought. You can. Uh, they won't say that we are selling pens, but if you go there and say I have this much funding, but you know I have three or four speakers we have to put in there. Of course they will do it. You see, so for eight nine years in a row, uh, he's been uh, built up as a big you know. And a lot of the books are launched there, and a very high price, a very high budget launch is being done. Their plan is very dangerous because. They want a paperback hundred. Eventually, when the initial hard copy and all done, they want hundred rupee paperback sold. The, the words used were in railway stations, so every town dictionary can buy one. So this is how it, they want to spread it across India, and this will be future generations' idea of who we are. So this business of death of Sanskrit is not because it died thousand years ago. This will kill Sanskrit. Because there is no need for Sanskrit, all the knowledge will be learned from there. It's more in the book, very easy. You see, so this is a very uh, the right thing would have been to translate English words into Sanskrit, because you build up a language by putting content in it, putting latest thoughts in it. That's how Chinese have been doing this since the sixth, seventh century. The Chinese dynasties and emperors have been translating into Mandarin the works from all over Europe during the uh, during the Enlightenment period. They were taking all these European thinkers, translating so that Chinese can do good function. The Chinese know that this is what European thought is. So we are on par with them. We don't have to go to their universities and uh, learn their language to understand their thoughts. We can learn read it in our own language. So we should be doing actually translating into Sanskrit if we want to build up Sanskrit. There ought to be project of that. Actually, I agreed to come here and join this exercise was to see that all the claims which have been made about the writings of Paul have some academic validation because you know in our Uh, tradition, we always say that now amulam likhate kanche. We do not write anything without an evidence. We should not write. This is academic honesty, now. So, when someone wrote something about in Vedas Parishad, I immediately told them that don't jump either this way or that way. Let us go step by step. And uh, first, let us understand what. And understanding with an academic understanding, because he is claimed to be an academic scholar, his approach is academic. So, whether uh, what image has been created about Bhagwan has not really can be substantiated through study or not, I wanted to have an experience, and so I said immediately. I also wrote to Kanman. This should be the and so meticulously followed. You know, nobody knows whose article is going on, who put into it, referee and all that. And uh, after these three days attendance, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that his approach is not academic. He is doing everything with an agenda. 
And if such a person is given the responsibility of translating classical texts, he is spoiling the next generations and they will be in the print. It's not that uh, he is coming and talking for it over and then vanishes. So, Shabdagunatam Akasham. So, this is not the case. It is being in the library, in each and every library in the world, it is going to become. And so, whosoever would like to know about India, we go to this reference. I mean, this is, this is dangerous. I think dangerous. And therefore, I feel that uh, we cannot support this. And so, I, as you might have emphasized, uh, I also started to emphasize that people. So, my uh, the uh, friends, close friends, and. Uh, his son, they are also in a very different position. started sending email to me that Professor uh, Chai, you do not know, uh, you have not uh, known Olok, he is a reputed scholar and all that. So, why are you signing? Uh, I said to them, I don't depend on even your comments. Unless I see, unless I read myself, unless I am convinced, I don't want to I am not going to withdraw, you know. And accordingly, I went and thereafter they also stopped sending all because to me. And now it has been validated. This, I, I uh, I have looked towards this attempt as an attempt to see that whether it is like this exercise has validated his motive or not. And the exercise of these three days has validated because there is no organized attempt. You will be telling also the same thing, I am also going to be telling the same thing, you also going to the same, nothing like that. So, so even if the same topic has been given to 10 people, it doesn't matter. And if all of them are coming to the same conclusion that this man is doing something with a motive. So when the motive is so clear, then how can he be called a scholar? Academic scholar. This is the dictum that we follow in our tradition, and he has violated that. So, under with our standard of scholarship, he cannot be called a scholar. This, this is not a call. And if such a person is given such a responsibility by God, it is going to the whole country. So, I will not, I will never support this. So this is the first attempt of validation of the motive of, this is the outcome of this society. Uh, and uh, then we can go for, further, okay. You can go to study and understand from another angle. Now someone was, was yesterday was presenting that uh, his entire uh, framework is a Marxist framework. I also told him, that well, this is what I mean. So this is what Charvaka did here, of course. This is what Charvaka did here. And Charvaka was the Prabhaksha. You take any darshana, any darshana you take up. It is not that we do not, we do not know how to address. Yeah. We have not to learn anything, any technique from the West. Or in uh, post-colonial uh, yeah. activities, we don't, we don't need. 
this is a this is a mean I'm, I, I believe in it, you know. I feel it because I, I have hated the tradition. I have felt the tradition. I have lived in the tradition. No, it is not that not a single book of the tradition I have read and I am talking about tradition. This is this, this kind of a training we do not have. So I think the outcome of this seminar or conference is validation of the motive of public in trying to portray an image of India, the classical India, as if he's presenting a scholarly presentation and claiming that what she has seen is a truth. So this is what, what, what I would say to the outcome. And then you can take different angles to understand further. That is why you can see that uh, misrepresenting, misquoting, misinterpreting, uh, all sorts of things he has done. And not one person has said this, almost everybody has. And therefore the person who was talking from uh, this morning, I also asked the same thing. That have you have you found any motive behind all this guy? Why is he doing this? And I mean, when I study, let us say, Nyaya Shastra, when I study Vedanta, I do not have political motive to study Vedanta. I just call it a Vedanta. I don't know what, what, what does Vedanta say? And what does Vedanta, the understanding of the Vedanta is going to do for human being? This should be an approach. This is the approach of India. What politics I should, what political mileage I should extract out of it? With that motive, I do not study Vedanta. I do not study Nyaya, but if you say that is the way of studying something, well, that, that is not the way that classical India uh, did that. So why are they painting now? I mean, your own ideas you want to uh, superimpose on this direction, and you try to understand that the way you understand, I should also understand the same. Who are you? Right. <laughs> you may not have a shraddha. But I have a Shraddha, but who are you to tell me I should not have a Shraddha? Yeah. Who are you? I, I wear dhoti, you do not wear dhoti. You know, why are you wearing dhoti? Who are you to tell me like this? This is, this, this, this is the difference. No, no, no. Uh, no, he's, you see, now nobody uses now a dhoti. Why, why are you here? No, no, no. Why everybody should be thinking in the same way that you think? And he learned us. Power. Then chronology. My God. <laughs> so, it is, it is established <coughs> beyond doubt that his study of Indian classics are with a motive. And what are those motives? Perhaps in the next attempt, you should Address that. And uh, had he not been here, perhaps, this clarity of his motive would not have come to me. His being here has added to understand the folk. So he should not, he should remain present in every activity that we You misunderstand because you, you please. Sorry. So I think I have made my point clear. Yes. That if such a person is made the chairman or the chief editor, whatever you call it, of a project of translating Indian classical and making it available in print for ages is very dangerous.
very, very dangerous for the nation. And by any cost, you should stop it. One, one point, uh, uh, just one point. Uh, this is an exemplary example, Professor Jha, of a true patriot and somebody who is honest and willing to speak up rather than be scared. But I have to tell you, because I am close to the petition board matter, not everybody was that strong among our people. Yeah. A couple of very important people from very important universities, Sanskrit universities, we do. And they gave a reason that some wealthy people in the Bangalore area, you can guess, complained about their participation and a few crores were of grant were possible which they which they did not want to jeopardize. So I got an email to that effect that we want to not get involved in this. And so I'll leave it at that. So, then, so it means that the fight is not so simple. We got our so-called insiders also compromised. So that yeah, that is, is uh, the structures of you know, power and money and influence and uh, pressure behind this have to be exposed for sure. So, but let's go around because we want to hear other people. So the basic focus is what's wrong with the multilateral and how to rectify it. Yes, uh, I have little to say about the politics regarding the uh, multilateral, but I was very startled to hear these um, uh, chronological and content-wise limitations on the definition of classical. Uh, in the West, Latin, of course, is classical in this sense that it's not spoken anymore. And that is not the case with Sanskrit, though poet works hard to you know, <laughs> keep it off. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side, uh, back in the past, uh, he tries to say that it only started around the time of Christ. Now that makes uh, sense, I mean it explains some of his other positions. You see, so to limit Sanskrit to the uh, secular domain, that more or less, you know, harmonizes with that chronological uh, limitation. Because works like uh, Arthashastra, about politics like the Kama Sutra, um, you see they start appearing around the time of Christ. Whereas before that you have the Upanishads, the Vedas and so on. So that's the sacred part that he likes to exclude, you know, exclude or at least certainly not highlight. Um, well, uh, for their information, I would say that even secular literature started a lot earlier. Um, I guess, you know, if you are interested in Sanskrit, you certainly heard of Panini. Uh, he was a professor at Takshashila University and he's Conventionally, I that may be discussed, but conventionally is estimated at about 6th century BC. Incidentally, that proves, of course, that Buddhists did not uh, invent the institution of the university because two of the Buddha's friends studied in Takshashila. So already when he was growing up, the institution of the university existed. It's not a Buddhist invention, it's a Vedic invention. You see, Panini lays down the rules for grammar. He doesn't talk about code or anything. It's about grammar. And very pioneering because Western linguistics very much rely on Panini.
Um, and uh, moreover, Bali himself quotes earlier authorities. Then we already mentioned the uh, Vedanga Jyotisha that dates itself several times independently uh, to the 14th century BC. And, um, you know, Kimberly says 4th century BC, but that's wrong. Um, now, the purpose of that work is perhaps religious, it's to determine the right time for Vedic rituals, but the, the, the method, you see, the contents of the work is purely scientific. It teaches a method to do observation of a story. So you see, secular literature started early and is not entirely different from, cannot be separated from sacred literature, like Subhashkat has shown, for instance, that the Shatabhata Brahmana contains a passage um, explaining, not fully explaining, but at any rate wondering why this is the case, that the seasons are unequal in length. You see, in the Northern Hemisphere, summer lasts about three days longer than winter. And so it seems they already discovered this. And so now we know this is because of the uh, elliptical orbits, but at any rate, whatever the explanation, noticing the fact is already pretty unique. Uh, then you see the, the history, you know, more or less systematized in the Kinduists in the Puranas, but much of it is already in the Vedas, in the Mahabharata. Um, you see, some of that is laughed at by people like Steve Farmer, but in fact, and you know, here I, I correct my view that Hindus don't do history, because after all, even though there is much flawed, and there are still discussions about which century that Kalidasa lived and so on. So partly it is very vague and sloppy, but partly it's also very exceptional. I mean, you see they have communists going back a few thousand years before Christ. Tell me what other civilization has that. So, you know, whatever historical material is present in the Sanskrit classics, you have to treat carefully. You cannot just read, you know, literally, but nevertheless, very worthwhile as history. So, um, you know, that, that artificial line that uh, Polo tries to draw, I, I don't think it's sustainable. It, it does not count for Latin or Greek. You know, the, the most read book worldwide written in Greek is the New Testament. And you see, the, the only place where Latin is still used somewhat, not in the talking part, but in the singing part, is in Mass. So, you know, I mean, if classical can have that meaning elsewhere, then I think that should also come. 